The Start On Demand. On demand. Driving in at 4 a.m. is supposed to be nice and smooth. There's almost no one on the road. But McNabb still had a difficult drive in thanks to a rail crossing on Keniston. The arms were down for 15 minutes. No train. We have details on a shocking assault at Polo Park after an employee tried to stop a thief. March Madness is here in a country where basketball isn't as high on the food chain when it comes to sports. Why do we all become college basketball nerds every spring? And you might not know who they are, but after hearing Big Heist Brass Band perform live in our studio, you're gonna love them. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Friday, March 22nd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning. And we are happy that it is the weekend because so far, at least two of us have gotten off to a kind of a bad start. Mm-hmm. For me, it was my girlfriend coming out at one in the morning because I had fallen asleep on the couch, I guess. She says, are you coming to bed? And I sort of startled, I woke up startled. Yeah, yeah. And then at two o'clock, I woke up again. And realized, I guess I should go to bed for 45 <laughs> yeah, minutes. Yeah, that's almost not worth being... You don't need to be woken up then. Yeah, I fell asleep sitting up on the couch, so that <laughs> probably looked creepy. Oh, that is creepy. <laughs> oh, if I came out and just... Brett McGarry just... I don't know why you'd be in my living room to begin with. But, <laughs> but that wow. would be extra creepy. <laughs> and then McNabb, <laughs> your, your drive-in to work, you live out of town, you yeah. always have adventures and sometimes they're in the city. And this is the sound of what McNabb was up against this morning on Route 90. Oh, a train. No, no. No train. We mean no train. The, the, the sound, that universal sound indicates train crossing, oh, does sure. it not? It does. It's for your safety, Greg, for you yes. to stop so that the train can go by. Mm-hmm. I stopped for about eight minutes before I realized there was no train going by. And I kept seeing all these other drivers kind of go around me. And this is something we hear about, I would say, not daily, but pretty close here at CJOB, where someone complains that the crossing arms have been stuck. So I was like, where's everybody going? There's no secret route <laughs> like to get past this, this train or this situation. And I pull over, and sure enough, when anybody had a passenger in their car, that passenger was getting out, holding up the crossing arm you know, for six cars to go by and then they would run ahead and then the next person who may have had a passenger in their car would help out and do the same. And so it took forever to get us all moving. But we hear about this all the time. And so I've got an ask out to Canadian Pacific and to CN. Like, how often is this happening? Is mm. this not a simple, simple fix? Is this a weather moisture thing? Like, what what's going on? And not only that, it's like there's this sign that shows up a few meters later that says, please play it safe around rail yards. Mm-hmm. And all these people are out of their cars, lifting up the arms, ducking around it to try to get to work or get home from work. And it's ridiculous because need, it does happen often. You need some bungee cords in your car. To make, to, to make my own? To make your own because you don't travel with anyone. You need bungee cords. They should. That's some sort of lever lever system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was funny because the people who kept getting out of their cars to help because I, my instinct is to to roll on it. So I pulled over and got out my camera and uh, they're all looking at me and I was like, no, no, you're fine. This is great. Keep going. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to bust you. I'm trying to show how ridiculous it is that this is the lengths we're going to. Did you just, have any sort of CJOB or global news apparel no, on I at the time? No, I just like a creepy uh, oh, great. interloper. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I always love when I roll up on these situations and I break out my camera and the police kind of look at me Wait, as wh- if to say, What's you deal? need to get lost. I go, uh, is it okay if I media? Yeah, but are you media? Yeah, I am. And they kind of look at me, go ahead. Oh. You, you know, but if you have the if you have the apparel, it's all good. Mm-hmm. I've got the apparel on today. I would have been fine today. And this is the, the crossing, by the way, on Keniston. Right. Kind of basically like right on the edge of the Keniston Common on the north side, right? Just right. sort of Joey's is Af- to your left. And- after Joey's, before Ikea. Yeah. Uh, as, I, as I drive north. Yeah. So that we believe we've deduced it's a CP... Line and so we're asking them how often that happens there, but but I know it's a CN issue. It's a pretty regular thing, and that was funny too because it's four in the morning and you think, wow, 
It's not going to be that big a deal. And there was hundreds of cars lined up, and semi trucks can't. Like, you hundreds? Can't, I, on both sides? Really? I would say yes. Okay, so how long before we're demanding an underpass there? We're going to spend $500 million or more to clear things up between Ness and Taylor. And I've been saying this for a couple of years now. We're still going to have this mess south of Ikea from Sterling Line Parkway all the way to the flyover where things diverge. And you've got your brand new Route 90 South and the Bishop Grand and everything in between there is still going to be a mess. What are we going to do then? Yeah, it's a bottleneck as you go through there. And with the, the train stopping, uh, whether there's a train or not, it's a huge frustration. I hate driving on Route 90 on al- at almost any time. Mm-hmm. They were there, like, other than four in the morning, but apparently even four in the morning <laughs> well, so is insane. I, I, there was 50 or 60 cars on our side, 50 or wow. 60 on the other. In the time that I stood there and watched, sure. I watched three different streams of 10 at a time, say, go through, and then I left. And then I put my camera away and was like, excuse me, can you just hold that up for one more second? This nice lady did. But yeah, it's a... Did you tip her? I should have tipped her. I should have tipped her. Greg, I want to ask you, uh, we got a text message here on a different topic, and it has to do with the Winnipeg Jets. And I want your take on this. Mm-hmm. It's from Manning, who says, please don't announce the late Jets games the next morning. Winnipeggers PVR the late games for later. Oh, boy. You Pegger PVRers will enjoy the game tonight after supper. Otherwise, we can't listen to your radio station all day. So, oh, well, we, that's, I mean, it's. <laughs> we want a moratorium all on, day? on jet scores on nights like last night. We've had three this week where the game started uh, nine o'clock or later. And hey, I love the Jets games as much as anybody. I could not stay up last night. I kept my eyes open until a certain score and then I rolled over. I'm going to do. My part, but I cannot promise that Kelly Moore will not deliver the score at 625. In fact, I can promise you he will deliver the score. So you don't have to sequester yourself from CJOB the whole day, just from 25 after the hour until about 629 or 29 after the hour. You'll be you'll be okay. Um, if we don't talk about the score, we're going to delay talking about the fact that the Jets have delayed their... Oh! Clinching of the playoffs. I'm saying it. They haven't okay. clinched the playoffs yet, people. And we're waiting for it. And we know they're going there. But McNab we want to get... at cgob.com. <laughs> Fine. Email me. Filter I, I your was anger excited to, to wake up this morning and see that little X. Is it, isn't it the X that it they put the beside X. the team that finally makes, you know, has clinched their spot? That feels good. Why if you clinch your division... And then the X if you clinch the playoffs. And we want the Y so we that we can X have the, the, the home playoff advantage, right? That's right. Yeah. You got it. And then we can update our whiteboard. Uh, someone has put up the bracket for the North American Ice Hockey Championship. <laughs> and uh, as the, it, it, somebody wrote it there. I didn't put it there. Well, I was called. impressed. That's Your terminology is catching on, Brett. Yeah. You need to copyright that <laughs> because it may catch on beyond our newsroom and the airwaves here at 680 CGOB. So I would be protecting my intellectual property if if I were you. Uh, do you know how to do that? Can you help me yeah, with that? Yeah, sure. There's like, you probably just go to, a, there's probably a website, just Mayor TM. Bowman used com, to be one type thing. thing. Let's <laughs> call you, could, you could at least register the domain name right now for 10 bucks. Oh, North American. I don't know how you would put the, the accent North on The North American <laughs> Ice Hockey League Championship. I don't know how you would emphasize that in the in the font or anything like that and so that people would read it just like that, but <laughs> we could work on it. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Braun, Moore, Forte. We're all here to talk about the madness. March Madness has begun Yesterday was the first big day of the big dance, and people all over the place who know nothing about college <laughs> basketball are suddenly college basketball fans, and it is something that happens every year, much to the joy of many and much to the dismay of many others. We're like, oh my God, we got all. We had one listener already text us saying, "All I can find on TV is basketball. <laughs> Give me football." <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> And yeah. then you find yourself watching it, which is the worst part. And you're like, I don't even, I don't know who I'm watching, why I'm watching it. Like, it's weird. It, but they're intoxicating. Yeah. And, and it's because uh, sometimes there are such great stories that develop from this tournament. You know, Loyola of Chicago had the 98-year-old nun who uh, became a a fixture in households last year uh, when they won one buzzer beater after another. Last night I was watching a game, 
this kid comes off the bench for Fairleigh Dickinson of New Jersey, who are getting absolutely crushed by Gonzaga. And so this kid in the dying seconds for Fairleigh Dickinson scores a layup, goes over and hugs his coach. We find out later that uh, he missed 33 games with back issues. It was his last ever game uh, at the college level. And, uh, you know, the moment was just incredible. So I think it's also uh, for those reasons that people get glued to this tournament. Yeah, it's just fun. I remember Steve Nash, great Canadian basketball Mm -hmm. player, and I I didn't know who he was. I'd never heard of Santa Clara. That's the school he went to. But his team in 1993, they they were an upset winner in the first round. And this Steve Nash kid was just lighting this team on fire. And he, of course, went on to have a Hall of Fame career in the NBA. But that's where I first learned of him. And uh, so many great players really shine in the tournament if you're into the basketball. And even if you're not, it's, it can be. I don't fill out the bracket because why, why bother? I, I, I'm sort of like, you can't come close to getting anywhere. Well, in the United States alone, the number is that 70 million people fill out the brackets. Seven zero. Seven zero. 70 million people. Like that's, I, what's, what's the population there? 300 and some million? Yeah. Like 25% like, of the country is is participating in this. That's crazy. It's all about the gambling. Let's be honest. You sure want to win is, the yeah. pool, yeah. but there is something special. This is like the lottery. As I was mentioning, uh, Kelly, you might not have heard it. Warren Buffett put up a billion dollars a couple of years ago yes. for a perfect bracket. And yeah. the reason he did that so comfortably is no well, a, he could buy insurance that would cover <laughs> it. And the insurance premium probably wasn't that, that expensive because it's, pretty much impossible. I don't know if it's ever been done electronically online by anybody to pick the perfect bracket. So it's a ton of fun. Anybody can win your office pool or your, or your pool amongst friends. I remember Jeff and Jeff, this probably applies to you as well, because for those who hate the tournament, all it does is get in the way of whatever TV show you're trying to watch. It used to bug me because uh, Letterman wouldn't be on for three Thursdays in a row or something like that when this thing started. And and for the after a while, I could see it's like, oh, that's right. The March Madness is coming, so he won't be on. So don't be upset when it records and then you go to watch it and it's just <laughs> like basketball highlights. It's like, oh, all right. Or he'll come, or he'd come on at like two in the morning or something. We always had to, him. used to have to repair the TV side. And I saw Brittany Greenslade tweeting about it yesterday because it, um, Young and the Restless. Restless. That's right. I would not believe the phone calls we get during March Madness from people who are like, why is this not on? I don't care about this basketball game. Like as if I'm in charge of this or I was in charge of this magic button on the TV side. It's like, you know what? You're right. I'll just flick this switch and put Y&R back on. I don't want Bradley. I want Victor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's two times of the year that comes to play. U.S. uh, Open Tennis. Because CBS covers the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament for a couple of weeks. And so it can it can disrupt Young and the Restless, and then of course uh, I think it's three weeks where they play on Thursdays. So uh, be prepared. Mm-hmm. YNR is going to be affected today, and it was affected yesterday as well. It's a ton of fun to to watch this stuff, and to, I think we all have interesting reasons for having the, just a tiny bit of an affection for different universities. You were saying your dad has an affection for the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, and I'm like, why would your dad have any affection to Cincinnati? I can't I can't remember why. It started a long time ago. I think he just liked their coach back Bobby in. Bobby Huggins? Oh, uh, uh, have they changed coaches? Probably they have not. since, yeah. Bob yeah. Huggins, though, back in the day was the like big That's, that's probably yeah. him. Then that's probably him. Um, but the Bearcats today are taking on the Iowa Hawkeyes at 11-15, and I... That's one of the colleges that I latched on to when I started paying attention to this in the early 1990s. I had an Iowa Hawkeyes hat, which I wore into the ground <laughs> to the point where I had to put hockey tape over the snapback because it was in such bad shape because I wore it every day and it was sweat-stained and disgusting. It really should have been incinerated well before I got rid of it. But yeah, I like the Hawkeyes for no reason other than I, I, I think they have a cool logo. Well, my dad drove to Florida back in the day to Disney World with uh, my stepbrother and step sister, the other family. We won't get into that. I need a coach for that. But he came back with all this great stuff, all these great souvenirs, all the great colleges. I collected postcards of all the arenas and stadiums, and he got me uh, the odd uh, magnet and, you know, $5 t-shirt and stuff. It was like Christmas. And so I got 
affection for certain different universities, and that's carried on now for 30 years. My sister-in-law went to the University of Kansas, so I'm a Jayhawks guy. All the different campuses that you go to over the years, and yeah, I'll cheer for them. It's fun. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Coming up in our next segment, we are going to introduce you to the Big Heist Brass Band. We have a six-piece brass band that's going to perform for you in studio. We are excited for that. I've just learned that a sousaphone. A sousaphone? A what? A sousaphone. I thought it was a tuba. Yeah, I well, I, I, I thought, is that a tuba or what would you call that? So It's well, not a tuba. <laughs> Come on, Greg. <laughs> Couldn't resist, could you? Couldn't. That's accurate in this case. It is. If you get your degree, it's called a doctor sousaphone. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Braun, ladies and gentlemen. Get it? Qualifier. Yeah, that was not the Big Ice Brass yeah. Band. We should have asked them to learn that, though. I bet you they could play that yeah, much, we, much better. Yeah, Greg thought, he said, do you guys know a movie theme? And uh, I didn't even think to get them to, to do that. That would have been awesome. They were all set up in here by the time I thought of it, so yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> Jeff Braun is here, one half of the Couch Potatoes. Jordan Peele, before we talk about the movie, who's Jordan Peele? He was a comedy guy in the sketch show Key and Peele. Very funny. He did the Obama. They did those uh, sketches where they did the crazy names from the uh, college football players and that sort of thing. But now he's like the number one horror movie director in the United States. He had uh, that movie Get Out a couple years back where he won an Oscar for writing that and it got nominated for a bunch of other Oscars. And now he's got a new one this week. And it's called Us. There's a family in our driveway. Can I help you? You people. It's us. They won't stop until they kill us. But we kill them. It's about a family goes to their vacation home. They discover someone lurking outside. It's themselves. They have doppelgangers trying to kill them. Looks super creepy and much like Get Out, Us is getting outstanding reviews. You going to see it, Jeff? I First, I have to find out how gory it is. Okay. I don't mind the suspense and the couple of jump scares, but if, like, there's uh, scissors featured prominently in the trailer and stuff, and I was like, ugh. So you could see the scissors, but you don't want to see what happens after the scissors strike. Yeah. Yeah. I don't okay. want to see where the scissors go. Now, in Get Out, he did a pretty good job of not being very graphic about things, so yeah. I'm sort of hoping that's the case here because it looks like a uh, like a just off the rails kind of movie. It looks fun. It's going well. I'm going to see it tomorrow night, so I will let you know. Okay. Also new this weekend, something called the Hummingbird Project. How straight are we talking about here? Whatever's in the way, we got to dig through. It's got to be a totally straight line. Mountains, straight. Rivers, straight. Swamps, straight. Straight, straight, straight. Can I ask what the purpose of that one is? Our purpose is to get the stock market quotes in like 16 milliseconds, which is one millisecond faster than everybody else right now. Okay. Then what happens? Roughly $500 million a year. Good cast in this. Jesse Eisenberg, Alexander Skarsgård, Salma Hayek. It's set in the high-stakes game of high-frequency trading. They want to build a fiber-optic cable that runs from Kansas to New Jersey. I hadn't even heard of this movie until no. two days ago. Yeah, I looked it up, and it's on IMDb in brackets. It says 2018, so I think it's been sitting on the shelf for a while, and they're just finally getting rid of it. You want to see this, don't you, Greg? Yeah, but that's usually a bad sign, isn't it, when they <laughs> keep it on the shelf? So maybe uh, I... Am rightfully not a couch potato, and I will see it anyway, and I'll let you know. But I, it's a very real. I read a book about the whole building of this fiber, the fiber optic line between New York and I can't remember where, and just the seconds it shaved off trading and the millions people made from it. Like it's a kind of a very real scenario, but my brain can't. Oh, they used to build it. these server farms as close as they That's could right. to Wall Street in order just to buy themselves an extra millisecond, an extra millisecond yeah. because it was millions of dollars every time they they did these high frequency trading, uh, and it's absolutely fascinating stuff to to read the behind the scenes of of, of what has actually gone on in history around this. It looks cool, but it's only. 
only at 48% on Boo. Rotten Tomatoes. One more out this weekend. And Jeff, yesterday when we were recording yep. the Couch Potatoes, which is now available on podcast, I was confused because I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes to see what's new at the movies, and I see Cruel <laughs> Intentions. I'm sick of sleeping with these insipid Manhattan debutantes. Nothing shocks them anymore. Well, you can relax. I have a mission for you. Remember Cruel Intentions? Oh, yeah. Did you like Cruel Intentions? I did. Yeah. I've never seen it. I, I am curious to find out what they intend to do and why it's so cruel. Well, I have no idea. what. 20, it's a 20th anniversary. Not sure why we need a re-release of this movie, but here we are. It's out for a week. Reese Witherspoon plays an innocent young virgin. Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Phillippe play the rich brats who are plotting to steal her virginity. Oh, my. It's exciting that Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Phillippe get to be in a movie theater again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Haven't seen them well, in I'm sure a while. they watch movies in the theater, <laughs> but... True. Yeah, so there you go. Those are the three movies out this weekend. And Jeff, I will let you know how Us is. And also, Apollo 11 is still playing. I checked that out. I reviewed on our show. It's very good if you're looking for a documentary. Yeah, that's. Uh, it looks just outstanding. And Jeff actually bestows quite a high honor on that. Oh, so yes. make sure you check out the podcast and listen to The Couch Potatoes Saturday at noon and Sunday at 6 p.m. Very excited about this. Greg Lorena was at uh, the Viscount about three weeks ago for a Craig Street Cats Spaghetti Dinner. Brilliant name. And, yeah, love the name. You, lo- you must love the name. Oh, right? I love a good pun. Yeah. Spaghetti. Get and it? I, Does I, everybody get it? Yeah. Okay, I just want to be sure. <laughs> so I didn't know there was going to be entertainment there. Big Heist Brass Band was there. They performed a number of songs. It was awesome, and I said, you know what? we got to get them on the show. So they're in studio with us. Big Heist Brass Band, take it away. Journey. We have <laughs> Jesse on baritone sax, Jake on trumpet, Matt on drums, Chris on sousaphone, Benjamin on trombone, and Jerry on alto sax. And Jesse, let's start with you on baritone sax. Uh, first of all, for those who didn't pick up what that was you just performed, what was that? Uh, that was a little mashup of a couple of Journey tunes. Chris, our, our tuba player, put that together. It was Don't Stop Believing and uh, Any Way You Want It. Kind of smashed all together and lots of fun. So good. So, Big Heist Brass Band, how long have you guys been together? Uh, I guess about a year and a half now. Started in October 2017 and kind of started going just in time for the winter. So we were trapped in the basement for all over winter and put a bunch of tunes together. And then about a year ago, like right around when the weather turned to something like this, we got outside and started busking and playing around. And so we've been actually playing 
for for people for like about a year now. Are you friends that each played these instruments individually and then decided to form the band, or does someone just say, you know what, I think I'm going to learn to play the sousaphone? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> a handful of us uh, went to the faculty of music together at uh, University of Manitoba, and then uh, and then Matt wanted to to form a band, so he kind of knew all of us from from being in the faculty together and. It's a pretty tight-knit community of musicians in the city, and, and five out of six of us are actually music teachers as well, so we, we knew each other pretty well just from, from being around and called us up, and away we went. Now, there's lots of different reasons that, that, that guys and gals get together to form a band. I can speak from experience in university. It was mostly to hammer on the drums, drink alcohol, and hopefully meet some women. Um, <laughs> what about the brass band? Does that have the same cachet in terms of uh, meeting members of the opposite sex? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, five out of six of us are married, so I can't... Uh, oh, well, then that's probably a good time. <laughs> so, no, I think... I mean, I, th- I think I could speak for all of us. I've been elected speaker here, so I think I could probably speak for all of us when I say um, a, a big thing about what we're doing is trying to, uh, with all of us being music teachers, kind of showcase these instruments in a different kind of way. And, and Amazing. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to sell music every day to a bunch of kids, and, and hopefully um, they're already into it, and, and if they're... Already sold on the idea, that's great, but if they're not, then uh, just showcasing them in a different light and, and playing music that maybe they're more likely to sort of connect with and, and see these instruments in a, in a, in a cool fun sort of way. So well, not- one of our listeners just now said, I'd never thought I'd be singing along to a brass band. That there was awesome, go. right? And <laughs> yeah. I, maybe that's the point. People put in their head what they think exactly, the sound yeah. is going to be and you're coming up with something else. Yeah, and all the kids in grade 7 who are still practicing hot cross buns and that and thinking like <laughs> the times are the times are bleak, right? But we all we all started there and everybody has to start there and you just keep keep going and eventually you can have like the most fun in the world. So Well, I was looking at your YouTube channel yesterday and I saw that you do Daft Punk covers uh you're gonna perform it well i'm not gonna reveal what the next song is because that's part of the fun is figuring out what they're playing no question about it but uh you guys like when you put something together like that do you have to do your own sort of composition or how does that work yeah i'm not the the one to talk about that it's these two guys have done the the majority of our chris has done i would say 90 percent of our of our arranging and jerry about 10 so if you want to chat about that chris chris by the way is wearing a what what is this called uh it's a sousaphone it's basically a marching tuba they decided that it was hard to march with one strap to your front so they figured out how to wrap it around you instead your parents must have been thrilled when you said i want to play a sousaphone (laughs) i keep running into problems where uh, i'm glad your ceiling's high enough (laughs) (laughs) you said wearing it right Loren, did you say wearing it? Because yeah, I, I, I so. Chris is quite literally he's wearing his. In it. I'm not sure if he's wearing it or caught. Like it might be wearing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when, yeah. when you have to arrange something like that, is it difficult to put it into your context? Uh, it can be. With, with some stuff, it works out really well. Actually, rock numbers are nice that way because they've got that's yeah, fairly simple chord structure and you've got you know guitars and whatever else that we can emulate really nicely with saxophones and things like that. Um, Couple couple pieces I've done, yeah, where it gets it gets quite complicated trying to match it down to this few, but uh, we make it work. Well, we've only got about two minutes here, so we want to make sure we give you guys an, an opportunity to perform another song. Uh, you guys want to? Well, again, I can't reveal it. Don't don't yeah. introduce yeah. it. Yeah, you're gonna you, you're gonna know the song. It's a popular one. So here's Big Heist Brass Band with song number two.
I can't feel my face right Whoa. now because I'm smiling so much <laughs> as we head into the weekend. If you want to learn more about them, Big Heist Brass Band on social media. Jesse, Jake, Matt, Chris, Benjamin, Jerry, thank you so much for visiting us today. This has been amazing. Mackling McGarry McNabb, thank you very much for joining us on 680 CJOB. If you're just tuning in and did not have an opportunity to hear Big Heist Brass Band just before Global News at 8 o'clock, make sure you go to CJOB.com. I never and asked, did they have an the album? Vault. Sorry, I interrupted you, Brett. Did they have an album that we can hear? Good question. Because I, we now didn't have I want time. more, YouTube. is my point. YouTube. Yes. They, I do have a YouTube channel, and you can follow them on social media, Big Heist Brass Band. Yeah, we got to have them back. I just had the biggest dumb smile on my no, face No, I agree. Time. What a way to start the morning, and I think, you know, we've got to the room. Hey, we have a heavy day of news today. We've yeah. got um, more coming out on the sentencing for the truck driver in Humboldt. We've been talking about thefts across the city, and, you know, every once in a while, it's okay to take a break, and music is a good way to sort of bring some levity to your life. I think we all needed that smile today. Yeah, and it was, uh, the, the, speaking of serious stuff, we're just learning of an assault at Polo Park, right? Yeah, I just got off the phone with uh, Constable Tammy Scrabeck of the Winnipeg Police Service, and she talked about an assault that took place last night at the mall, just uh, steps away from us. And, and and we had some questions about not just what happened an employee. It sounds like there was a shoplifting in, a shoplifting in progress. And I don't know if he, she wasn't sure if the employee intervened, but this employee was assaulted. And uh, she says it speaks to a bigger issue, as we've been hearing about, about theft and potentially meth in the city. So last night at about 8.30 p.m., Winnipeg police were called to Portage Place in response to a male who um, was being held by security. Uh, the caller advised that the suspect had been responsible for a theft from one of the stores inside the mall, um, at which time he confronted an employee, and the employee had been uh, assaulted. Was he stabbed? Uh, you know what? I don't have confirmation of that. What we have is that the, he was uh, seriously assaulted. Um, he was injured enough that he had to go to the hospital. He was in unstable condition. We don't have an update on his condition. Um, and we do know that uh, a charge has been laid of robbery, aggravated assault, and possessed weapon. We've been talking a lot about thefts, as you know, over the last 48 hours, particularly in liquor stores. Do you have any, mm-hmm. just anecdotally-wise, Tammy, in terms of how much we're seeing shoplifting or theft in other areas and other retail stores in the city? Yeah, you know what, I I think, you know, we're talking about an increase yesterday just at the liquor stores, but I think we're seeing that increase across the board. It it doesn't really matter which store, which mall. Um, There's going to be a definite increase in shoplifting incidents, and there's an increase in some violent incidents that are coming with that. Um, So with that, we're still recommending that stores follow the protocol that they have, um, you know, whatever training that they have for store security. So if that means, uh, you know, advising their staff not to confront uh, people they feel will be violent, um, then that's what they're asked to do and contact police as soon as possible so that we can deal with it. In terms of the why, I know a lot of blame has been put on the meth crisis Mm -hmm. in the city. What, What would be the reason why you're seeing a rise in shoplifting elsewhere? You know, and I, I think that's part of it. I think we have the increase in math. I think we have uh, a need for easy money for some of these users. And the way that they're getting that is by stealing items from store, turning them over, selling them uh, so that they can get the money to buy the drugs. And I think there's um, there's a sense out there from some of the more like-minded criminal people who taking advantage of the situation saying oh you know what i can go into a store i'm not nothing's going to happen to me i can take what they what i want um and that's you know it's it's just a wrong mindset and eventually i think stores are going to have to deal with the fact that we do have people that think that they can do this and we're going to have to maybe increase whatever security measures we have in place that are allowing them to believe that they can just take things whenever they want I mean, we were not looking for an example in any way, shape, or form to compare what's going on in the retail sector overall versus what MLCC and the liquor stores and liquor marts have been dealing with. But here we have it, less than 24 hours after these increased security measures and different approach that the liquor marts are going to be taking with regards to uh, alcohol sales in our province at the variety of, of stores. And Danny Smythe made a fascinating comment, one that stuck out for a bunch of us with regard to the prevailing attitude right now as it comes to these brazen crimes that we're seeing. I can't think of a time when social norms have been ignored 
so dramatically where people think it's normal to walk into a retail space and just load up bags and walk out and not think that they're going to be confronted at all. So, Chief Danny Smythe, uh, echoing the sentiments, I think, of a lot of people right now, wondering, when did when did this change? When did it, it go so dramatically the other way, where it becomes a social, social norm and these things are a commonplace and, and we seem to be accepting them? Loren? Yeah, it's um, concerning, I think, when you hear about just anyone at any time of day being assaulted in their workplace. And so, we've got more questions out to retail analysts about how big this problem is. I had one tell me this morning that it's a $5 billion problem in this country when it comes to just the loss that you see and then the money that they spent to try to combat this. You you know, I I can remember, I think we all might have had friends at one point that shoplifted. Yep. And we probably all know somebody at some point, if you're of a certain age, that got called back into into the little jail. There's no bars, but... The store security, they would haul you back into a room and they'd call the police or they'd call your parents or both. And there was a Saturday court. I had friends that went to this thing where they had to go. It was almost all day on a Saturday to talk about the effect of their crime and what they were doing was not right and why it wasn't right. And it was kind of your one opportunity to escape charges of some sort was to go to this court. I don't think it happens anymore. I, I the stores are clearly hesitant to employ any sort of security that will interact with individuals who are shoplifting. I think that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I, I stole a ball once from Wolco on Wolco. Regent Avenue. Yeah, and it was one of those like those those sort of multicolored, like hard, really super bouncy balls. Sure. The ones that you could like throw and they'd bounce like 40 feet in the air. And I just tried to palm it. And walk out the store. I made it out of the store, but I was like seven or eight years old. And my sister says, "What's? Why do you have that ball, Brett?" And uh, the jig was up. My mom hauled me back into the store, mm. and I had to hand it back to the cashier and apologize. And it was embarrassing and mortifying. And I never did it again. So I, I love everything. Everything. Every week, you have a story about your mom and dad, where I feel like they should have run some sort of course, <laughs> like a parenting course. Like they, they made you take the thing back, and then they helped you out with you know just getting control on different things. I just think, oh, maybe I should call up your dad and Hold be like, them. just got a couple questions about my own children right now. Woke him up every morning till he was twenty eight. Did you say? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know. Good. Good parents. I just want to clear one thing up too. Sure. Um, we had been talking about this being assault at Polo Park in the interview with Constable. Tammy Scrabuck, and I didn't catch it. She said Portage Place, but it was, in fact, an assault at Polo Park at a store in Polo Park. And so we're going to make sure we have that correct information going forward. I had said Polo Park. Uh, She apologizes. She just, um, you know, things start. It's a quick interview. You're doing your best. But it was an assault and theft at Polo Park. We should know before noon today. Just how long the truck driver responsible for the Humboldt Broncos crash will be going to prison. The sentencing hearing for Jasker at Sing Sidhu gets underway at 10 o'clock Saskatchewan time, so 11 o'clock here in Manitoba. We've heard from various family members over the past few days who said they hope the punishment sends a strong message. The Crown has asked for 10 years. The defence hasn't said what it would like to see, but his lawyer has cited different cases where the sentences have ranged anywhere from 18 months to four years. Now, we also know Sadu has apologized and taken responsibility for his role in this crash. And that's generated a lot of questions about the trucking industry and standards. Yeah, we spoke to the Manitoba Trucking Association head, Terry Shaw, about the crash and the fallout from it. And we started with the question, have we learned enough? Have we reacted quickly enough? Quite frankly, again, the, all of the elements that we are suggesting right now uh, in Manitoba and nationally through our Canadian Trucking Alliance group are items that we have been promoting for years, certainly well in advance of this incident, right? Um, we need better proactive um, tools uh, when it comes to road safety. Again, I've spoken with you folks uh, on a number of occasions before um, on just how simple it is to start a trucking company in Manitoba. You don't even need to show up 
and, and interview, you can literally fax or mail in an application to Manitoba Motor Carrier Division. And as long as you've completed that three-page application appropriately, you're a trucking company. It, it, it shouldn't be that way. And so for the vast majority of those companies that do start up, they are well-intended, they are well-equipped, and they are safe operate. But how do we make that determination? How do we guarantee, um, and maybe guarantee is not the right word, but how do we take more steps to ensure that the, the licenses we are handing to drivers actually reflect the fact that they have the knowledge set and skill set that they need to work safely and successfully as truck drivers? How do we ensure that we are taking steps to ensure trucking companies have the knowledge and skill sets to be operating appropriately when it comes to things such as safety compliance, safety practice, um, all of which leads to, you know, the drivers on the road. Are they being trained? Uh, are you providing them the appropriate guidance and support and systems that they need? And I see that fatigue in both truck and passenger car drivers is a factor in about 20% of all collisions. That's according to Transport Canada. And uh, there are about, it was 9,400, and this, I'm going to ask you to explain uh, the terminology here. 9,400, it says HOS uh, related per year in Canada. Uh, What is, when we talk about HOS, that's hours of service? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's those are hours of service infractions. And so roadside enforcement um, currently, and again, we've been promoting change. The, the roadside enforcement officers are, are fantastic folks. They're hardworking, they're well-intended, um, but quite frankly, they rely on sitting at a scale. For the most part, they do remote inspections, uh, but their resources, as everybody who works for government, you know, are limited right now. Um, but so they sit at a weigh scale, wait for somebody to pull up to that scale, hand over uh, a paper logbook, uh, and then they've got to determine through reviewing that paper logbook um, whether or not this person is compliant. And, and that is a throwback to many decades ago where vehicular safety and vehicular maintenance was the more pressing concern. Today, as you mentioned, human factors, distraction, fatigue, Lack of training, lack of skill are the current uh, road safety considerations that we need to be looking at, and our enforcement practices haven't evolved accordingly. Terry, people are going to be yelling. I know it's running around in my head with all the technology that's available. How are we still dealing with paper logbooks and 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 waiting for at the side of the road or at a predictable location in order to be inspected? Is there not the opportunity for technology to be more proactive in terms of intervening and alerting uh, the carriers, when their drivers are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the follow-up to that, I'll ask right now, is who's standing in the way of that happening? It is, the, is it the government or the industry or the operators? Yeah, so I was invited to an ITS, Intelligent Transportation Systems Conference, last week. Uh, I was the only industry rep there, and I basically spoke about the fact that trucks today are rolling data collection machines. Um, if you have an ELD in the truck, and the vast majority of industry in Manitoba does have an ELD. Why? Because they make sense, because they're safety-focused, and because if they operate in the U.S., you have to have one to operate down there legally. That said, it's not a mandate in any Canadian jurisdiction right now, so pen and paper logs are the legal minimum requirement. So the technology is available, it is being utilized, but it's primarily being utilized and collected individually, corporately. So if every truck running up and down the road is a rolling data collection machine, why aren't we having discussions about leveraging technology in support of road safety? Sounds like it all comes back to government then, and you've been making the same argument over and over again to government that they need to step up that line, so to speak, so it's not just people meeting the bare minimum. Absolutely. So, so again, there's, there's two issues. One, when it comes to enforcement, how do we enforce that legal minimum more strategically, more appropriately, as opposed to buckshot? Let's stop all trucks. Well, let's stop the right trucks, right? Um, and then beyond that, how do we raise that bar for everybody? Well, if the legal minimum isn't good enough for most, then let's make it not good enough for any. Terry, we've just, we're on the verge of seeing the, the taxi cab industry either disappear. It's been changing dramatically based on the embrace 
of technology by others, Uber, Lyft, and other ride-sharing services. We hear about autonomous vehicles being on the horizon. Are we going to be in the same situation 5, 10, 15 years from now where an entire industry is going to look back and go, why did you take all of our jobs um, when we go from paper log books to fully autonomous vehicles. Like we're missing the, the intermediate steps here that could be saving jobs and, and making drivers critical versus making drivers uh, the, the, the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And so you've, <laughs> that's it, you're hired. You've hit the nail on the head. The, the province is currently in discussions. We're not involved in them, unfortunately, around autonomous vehicles and autonomous technology. And there are, is a massive gap that we need to bridge. We are simply not ready for it yet. Again, an excellent example is we don't even mandate electronic logging devices. And yet the province is somehow thinking of, of ways to replace truck drivers. Like it's simply not practical. There's a whole host of steps in between. We don't believe truck drivers will ever be obsolete. There is too much going on in the truck with the load when it comes to vehicle maintenance, cargo securement, border crossings, paper compliance, a whole host of items. The job of truck driver may change, which is again why we have been working not only with Manitoba infrastructure, Manitoba public insurance, but Manitoba education and training so that as the job evolves, as our industry evolves, as technology evolves, we can stay on the forefront and again give the people driving those trucks the tools they need be it the technology or the knowledge and skill to utilize that technology in support of greater efficiency uh, and um, a greater safety. Terry Shaw, Executive Director, Manitoba Trucking Association, on proposed changes to the trucking industry in the wake of the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. And maybe more importantly, the hesitation to implement some of the technology that's available. I said to Loren after we got out of the studio with Terry yesterday, I said... How is it possible with all this electronic monitoring that can be done? You left Portage La Prairie at X o'clock and you got to the Saskatchewan border at a different time. That should take, we'll say, three hours. I don't know exactly how long it should take, but there should be a defined amount of time that it should be, you should be allowed to, to take to get there. And if you get there too fast, there should be somebody waiting for you at the Saskatchewan border to say, how in the hell did you get from Portage La Prairie to here in that amount of time? Well, if you got there in three hours, you would be speeding. I'll tell you that much. Having done that drive, I know that wasn't your point. But it's a it it's boggles the mind that we have all this technology and we're still talking about paper logs within the trucking industry. Right. And I know Terry is trying to say that the industry is ready for these changes, but not everybody within the industry. And more than that, he said to us, he's been talking about these changes with electronic logs, um, doing making it harder for companies to be established about how easy it is to be, to create a trucking company. He says he's been talking about it since he's with the association for eight years. Eight years, he says, he's gone to the government to speak to them about this and nothing's been done. In case you missed it this morning, and we've put the video up on our 680CJOB Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, if you want to see McNabb's tale of woe from this morning on Keniston, just north of Keniston Common, there's that train crossing there, and the arms were down for like 15 minutes, and no train in sight, so finally people said, to hell with this, we're moving this these arms ourselves. And that's how you got through, right? That's how we got through. It was a nice lady in the car in front of me that uh, ran out. She was the passenger and she held up the arm for about six of us. And then she got back in the car and then they all waited for someone else to do the favor. But I I did want to ask because we do hear about this often at CGOB. And I was curious how many people have experienced that before where they're stuck because of the stuck arm. And uh, let us know. And more than that, um, is it at the same place? Like I was on Keniston, but I don't know if it's other parts of the city and just how normal that is. It's one of those things we hear complaints about and it never happened to me. And then I hit it at 4.30 this morning and I was like, come on! It happens often, I think, at Provence and Desmurons or Desmurons, if you prefer. Uh, yeah, that's one that I seem to hear in our traffic reports. Yeah, and I was going back through uh, my memory uh, and filling in in the traffic cruiser for Brian Barkley once upon a time, I think on Bishop Grandin. Yep. Uh, it's sometimes quite common on that uh, crossing as well. So, yeah, I mean, no technology is perfect, but this is fairly simple technology. And for it not to work and for it to be impeding the progress of 
in the case, you figure there's at least a, a few hundred cars affected by this this morning, even yeah. at the hour even at of the day, right? in the morning, yeah. A few hundred people, at least. Like, there was 60 or 70 cars that I watched go come and go because I did pull over and watch for a little bit and take some video. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, like, it's a, and the trucks can't get through. Like, you can't pick up. The people were lifting the arm, which is also not that safe, I'm guessing, no. for the cars to go through. But if you, there was a bunch of trucks on the road that are maybe going to make deliveries, early morning deliveries that couldn't, like, you can't hold up the arm high enough for a semi-truck to fit underneath. So it causes delays, lost productivity, and all the rest. Lots of chat on this on our Facebook page. And your comment from Chris who I believe is an engineer. Is that the right title? An engineer, a locomotive Mm -hmm. engineer? Not only is this extremely dangerous and stupid, you can and will be charged with trespassing if the railway police ever caught you doing it. Oh, my. If the train was pushing rail cars through the crossing, you wouldn't even see it until it was practically right on top of the crossing. There is a yellow rectangular sticker posted at every single grade crossing in Canada with a 1-800 telephone number and a number to identify the crossing. Call the number and report the crossing as malfunctioning. It might actually save someone's life by actually having the crossing looked at and repaired. And he's completely right. And that and that is fair. There was on the other. People waited for a long time and took a look, in my opinion, to see what was coming. But I am not at all condoning what they were doing. I think there was frustration to, that led to that, that action and someone doing that. But on the other side of the street, someone had had already called uh, CP. This was a CP rail line, and there were, I couldn't identify the truck, but there was um, workers or employees on the other side for the southbound traffic working to fix that arm. And so there were employees on scene acknowledging that there was some sort of issue. So there were employees there. And as they, I and as the, I moved through on the other side, I pulled oh. over and I saw people on the uh, heading southbound yeah. and there was guys trying to, or, or women, employees trying to fix what was going on. And so there were no cars moving through, but I completely hear what he was saying. I had said to you guys, once you get through that CP, CP crossing, you get to the CN crossing and there's a big sign up there warning, talking about rail safety and staying off the tracks. And there were people standing on the tracks, lifting up the arm, right? So I, I get where he's coming from, but someone had been called and was working on it. Now, what's happening at Polo Park, Loren? Well, we've been telling you this morning and you've been hearing in the news with Jeff Braun that police say a shoplifter in Polo Park tried to take some clothes from a store at the mall here. And when he fled, employees tried to stop him. And one of those employees was apparently hurt in the process, taken to hospital last night after 8 o'clock due to this assault. And so we're going to learn more about that throughout the day. But in the meantime, it had us asking about just theft overall uh, in the city and across the country. We've been talking a ton about liquor stores, but how bad is the problem in other areas of the retail industry? Well, to help us out, Stephen O'Keefe is a retail loss consultant. He spent 30 plus years working with stores like Sears, Walmart and the Bay, and he joins us on the phone now. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. We talked to you last month looking for solutions on what could possibly be done to the liquor store issue, and we're moving forward with that here in Manitoba. But we've had people write us this morning saying, like, look, yes, we get there's been brazen thefts in liquor store, but it's also on the rise in other areas. Is that true? Is this a growing problem? Uh, well, it is. So statistically, it's it's been an issue. Um, and just to put it into perspective, we use the number to measure shrinkage in relation to the sales for the uh, various organizations, so X percent of your annual sales. And and that's a small uh, number. And so it kind of desensitizes people to the issue. And so we've been talking over the last five to 10 years more about the significance in terms of dollars. So if I were to say the average in Canada was 1.44% of retail sales, Consumers may look at that and say, well, you know, they've got deep pockets and they can afford that. But then when I say that equates to $5.1 billion, um, there's a bit of shock value there to where they say, okay, tell me more. And, and I guess that's what your listeners are reacting to and responding to is the, the you know, just the, the open discussions and dialogues with retailers saying, oh, wait a minute, it's a problem for me too. It's not just liquor stores. I lose X amount and all together, we as retailers lose $5.1 billion and, and uh, things have to change. 
I think that people are a little bit closer to the to the liquor store equation in the conversation because it's a crown corporation, and so many people look at it as more directly their money. But let's be honest about it: five point one billion dollars. The retailers are getting that money from somewhere, and guess what? It's you and me, people who are buying stuff in their stores. Yeah, and there was a time when uh, before competition and e-commerce, retailers raised their prices to offset that. And so the consumer did pay and retailers were a little bit, um, took took a a lesser approach, a a less aggressive approach to it. Um, But now what's been happening, you can't raise your prices as a result of what a, a consumer would say, well, that's your problem. Because I'll just go down the street and buy it from somebody else, and I know where they are because I'll just use my iPhone to check your, your, uh, the prices and the items. So with, with that piece, um, consumers haven't been hit in terms of raised prices. But what we are studying over the next year and a half is this $5.1 billion underground economy, how does that affect uh, businesses in general? And then revenue that the government doesn't have because Shoplifters don't pay taxes. So you can work it out in each province uh, how much that means in terms of loss of revenue to the government to do things like improving infrastructure. And that, that's, uh, that, that's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that we're, we're, uh, we're losing in terms of taxation. So, and nobody has ever looked at things like that, but we will be doing that type of work over the next year and a half. I know your job is to help businesses find ways to mitigate these losses and crack down on theft and all the rest. But, you know, we talk about the brazen nature of the liquor store thefts. And I've had friends who worked in the big box stores and watched people walk out with armfuls of clothing. Like in some cases, they were telling me people would pick up the rack and leave. And so that sort of just dis- general disregard for the rule of law exists in a lot of places. And so I, I don't know if you can actually answer this, but is there some sort of shift in what our police chief called the social norm where we accept and just say, oh, well, like, I guess that's uh, just another loss we have to put up with today. Like what's going on out there and just a, in, a, in, in how the attitude might be towards theft? It's too bad that he said social norm um, because I don't think it's normal and I don't think you would think it's normal to do something dishonest. So that, that's unfortunate that he would say that. But I will tell you um, what has been happening in terms of um, uh, police response to the issue. And maybe maybe that explains a lot just in terms of the social norm. The, the reaction and response by police has been slower. We've seen that across the country. We know why that happens because we've talked to police officers and they say it's because the courts are slower to respond or treat it with um, less uh, importance than other crimes. And when you dig deep down inside and go back to cases like uh, Regina versus or Askoff versus Regina, because it was a Supreme Court decision where somebody said, Hey, I waited too long. By the way, it was a murder charge. I waited too long to be heard in uh, criminal court, and my charter of rights says I should be heard in a reasonable time. And he argued that and was able to get off on the charges because it took so long to hear him in court. And so what happened is the court said, let's get rid of these these uh, bottom-lying cases, the less important ones, like shoplifting, so that we can focus on things like the ask-off case where we can hear um, cases of assault and murder and they don't get thrown out of court because it, quote-unquote, took too long and breached the person's charter of rights. Stephen O'Keefe. Sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. Yeah, so it's kind of a domino domino thing. And if he's saying social norm in terms of there's societal issues uh, and, and issues with the judicial system, he's completely right there. Stephen O'Keefe is a retail loss consultant joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mr. O'Keefe, thank you very much. Thank you. In a conversation between Rich and Julie and Winnipeg MP Jim Carr. Hey, by the way, Start doesn't have an exclusive on having fun with political leaders when they come on air. Richard and Julie 
ended things on a humorous, if not educational level yesterday. Minister Kirk, refresh my memory. What instrument do you play again? You use... <laughs> I play the oboe. That's right. You're an oboe player. So I played in the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra long before, you, long before you were born. So is Bowman playing the accordion and <laughs> uh, and Brian Pallister the harp here? Can you make some music Wait, here? Wait, there's got to be done? a violin here somewhere. I'm just looking for harmony. I don't care what instrument they play. Ah, Jim Carr, <laughs> thank you so very much. My you don't pleasure. have the oboe handy. You can't play us out to break, can you? Well, give me notice next time. All right. Obomophone? Uh, the oboe is the, it, like, oboe's great in tandem with other things, and perhaps I was never around. What's an oboe? Like a big clarinet? It's like a clarinet. No, it's like, oh, it's the same size, but it has a, a thinner reed that sticks out. So my sister played the oboe, and when you first are learning it, it is horrific. Like, it sounds like, <laughs> When you're good at it, it's amazing. So I have no doubt he was amazing at it. But if your kid ever comes home from school and says, hey, uh, mom, dad, I'm going to learn the oboe, just chuck it out the window. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.